Good evening, and welcome to Meet the Artist Interviews. I'm your host, Charles Chip McNeil. I'm the Director of Education for the San Francisco Ballet. And I'm very pleased to be here on this Friday evening, January 27th, 2012. I want to welcome all of our listeners, both those uh, here in the audience and all of those who will eventually listen online. Meet the Artist interviews, as well as points of view lectures, are produced by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education, and many of our interviews become podcasts. You can hear about you can hear these podcasts, read blogs, see interviews with dancers, and learn much more about San Francisco Ballet by visiting our website at sfballet.org. Now, please allow me to introduce two guests this evening. First, I would like to introduce San Francisco Ballet principal dancer, Sarah Van Patten. Also joining me this evening is San Francisco Ballet principal dancer, Pierre-Francois Villanova. Both these dancers have a, a long history of, of incredible performances, but I'll just give you a brief snapshot. Mr. Villanova was born in France and trained at the famed Paris Opera Ballet School. He danced with Paris Opera Ballet and joined San Francisco Ballet in 1998 as a soloist. He became principal in 1999. We've enjoyed his performances as Albrecht in Giselle, Romeo in Romeo and Juliet, Prince Desiree in The Sleeping Beauty, Prince Siegfried and von Rothbart in Swan Lake, all those ballets by Thomason, and there have been many other memorable performances, including Orion in Sylvia by Mark Morris and The Prince in The Little Mermaid by Niermeyer. Miss Van Patten was born in Boston, Massachusetts and trained at the Ballet Workshop of New England. She danced with Massachusetts Youth Ballet and the Royal Danish Ballet. She joined San Francisco Ballet as a soloist in 2002 and became a principal dancer in 2007. We've enjoyed her performances as Giselle and Myrta in, and in the Pas de Cinque from Giselle, Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, The Lilac Fairy and The Diamond Fairy in The Sleeping Beauty, Odette Odile in Swan Lake, all of those ballets, again, by Thomason. And of course, we all recall her role as the mermaid in Neumeyer's The Little Mermaid. So, yes, one more round of applause for their storied career. Well, tonight is uh, an opening, and it is, it is a special one. For tonight, we discuss the ballet Onyegin by John Cranko, set to music by Peter Tchaikovsky. John Krenkel's work has not been presented at San Francisco Ballet for some time, really, since about 1974, I believe. And John Krenko, uh, a South African choreographer, uh, died actually in 1973 at, at the very young age of, of 45. Um, and this is one of the ballets that really made a difference for him and for Stuttgart Ballet, where he was uh, artistic director. And Onyegin is a complex story of dramatic proportions based on the Pushkin novel Eugene Onyegin, the setting is the very socially stratified czarist Russia. It first premiered in 1965. The, uh, and my program notes say that Onyegin is about, and I have to take their word, I haven't seen it yet, is about love, friendship, honor, betrayal. The human relations, the human relations are the linchpin in this ballet. And our writer of our program notes also says that it's a feast, a visual feast 
and with stunning imagery, a powerful, dramatic story. Okay. <laughs> I'm just reading the notes. I'm just reading the notes. I'm just here. So, when it comes to, um, I want to let you know, I want to leave plenty of time for questions because it's not often that we get two principal dancers uh, for this Q&A period and I really want to give you the opportunity to ask your key questions about Onyegin or about them and their performance ethics uh, in any way that you want. So I want to leave plenty of time for you, but I want to start with the ballet. Uh, I read a review where, uh, in the Chronicle where Mary Ellen Hunt, a writer for the Chronicle, says, the words that came up most often when talking about Jan Krenko's sweeping ballet on Yegen is life-changing. She says, it changes the way one sees classical ballet. Does that, what does that mean to you? Does that resonate with you at all? Well, um, good evening. I. I understand, I think, what she's talking about. Um, what I think is wonderful about the work is that as much as it is very dramatic, the story is told in the steps, um, which is something that's very fascinating about it. So you don't need to add too much to what is already there and given. Um, and of course, we have four different casts, and each cast is completely different from um, the other ones. And so I think each interpretation is very different, which is wonderful, but you're always going to get the story out of the ballet because it's in the work, it's in the steps, mm -hmm. um, and it's really beautifully choreographed in that way, and on top of being to amazing music. That's, that's brilliant because it, it connects very perfectly to what I was going to say about uh, Reed Anderson, uh, who, from Stuttgart Ballet, who set this ballet, actually says the same thing, that you, it's not where there are steps and then you add the dramatic and, emo and emotional uh, story on top of it. The, the emotion is embedded in the steps themselves. Pierre, how do you feel about that? Well, uh, clearly, yeah, the, the steps uh, tell the story, but also it's, I think it's a style that uh, has not been shown here at the ballet in, the, in San Francisco, and it's a, it's a specific style within the classical range, and of, of course, you know, it, uh, it expands our uh, knowledge and understanding of classical ballet. So I guess, like, uh, there is a life-changing experience uh, about classical ballet. I, I guess this is part of that. Yeah. So when you're introduced to a dramatic ballet of this sort, do you start literally with movement, with learning the steps, or do you have a time to sit down with the choreographer, with the, 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 the person setting the dance, to talk about its content and its dramatic uh, uh, approach? I would say that it happens simultaneously. Um, you know, it, at base, you know, the technique of it, the actual steps, the partnering does need to be achieved. Mm -hmm. And so that just takes hours and hours of, you know, applying you know, just to do the steps and to make the steps work. Um, but while that's happening, I do think um, as much as a coach in a studio can help you um, with the dramatic sides, I think as a dancer, you also take the time to reflect on the piece, do some research, um, and just kind of start to understand yourself in the work and how you're going to portray the character. You talked about research. Is that something that the uh, choreographer or dance maker invites you to do, or is that something that you do naturally as a part of your process for learning new roles? Again, I think it's both. I think um, the people who set the pieces um, 
obviously have a very deep understanding of the work, and so they have a lot of history, a lot of um, little things that you just don't know about the story or the music that add a lot to your um, performance in the way that you apply the steps. Pierre, is it easier, is it easier to learn a dance, the, a ballet that you've seen before, rather than something that you haven't ever been exposed to? Which yeah, is I, think, I think it's much easier when you've seen the ballet before to actually dance it, because uh, when you watch a ballet, when you've seen it, especially if you've seen it often, you've got already an idea of how you want to portray the role, or portray uh, like the, the different types or versions or energies that you can uh, bring to the ballet. So, of course, uh, it, it's easier. When you, when you have something new, you've got to, to, to start from scratch and really dig into your, uh, your own experience and yourself to, to come up with what you, you, you want to portray. But the problem is that sometimes you go in a direction and you realize, ah, no, it's not very good. And you have to change. As when you know what you want to do, you know what you want to do. Well, Sarah mentioned that there are several casts. There are four casts, I believe. Do you get to watch one another, and to what extent does that influence your dancing? Do you see someone do interpret a certain move a certain way? Do you think, oh, I like that, I'll use that, or, or do you not really get exposed to each other so that you really all have, each partnership is distinct and unique? I think we definitely have the chance to watch each other, and I actually find it very important, um, and I really enjoy watching the other casts, because I know often um, if I'm, approaching a role and there's a scene that's either very dramatic or heavy and you see someone take a different approach than what you have and it really works. Um, that might not work for you, but um, it, it's good to think of the different possibilities and to see, and just to see the, the, how one role can change so much between four different people. Mm. Interesting. What about what about for you? Yeah, I think uh, I, I enjoy watching the other cast. Uh, I'm not uh, going to watch them just to to try to find something out of them. I just just to the experience of seeing how they portray the role, what are their sensitivity uh, compared to the role, and uh, sometimes you find subtleties because of what they bring that uh, you didn't think of, and you want to maybe incorporate right. within like in your own style, you know, but uh, not like just repeat exactly what a person is doing. But uh, I think it's very important to, to be exposed to others. Do you, when you're learning a ballet such as on Yegan, do you actually get to watch um, video of your dancing as, and get feedback in that way or, or, or don't you? Of our own dancing? Yeah. Um, considering this is the first time that we've learned the ballet, no, there's no video of us. Although actually, when we rehearse the ballet in the fall, mm -hmm. um, after we rehearse the ballet for about three or four weeks, we'll videotape a final rehearsal. And so we will have that to look back on when we put it back together before we uh, do the premiere. Right. Uh, Pierre, would you explain a little bit more what she just said about you actually learn the ballet at an earlier point before the season actually starts, and then you have to revisit it. This is how, it how that works. This is how it works in San Francisco. Yeah, we, we have a rehearsal period of several months where we, when we learn the whole repertoire we are going to perform during the season. And so each ballet is allow, uh, allotted like a week, two, three or four, depending on the, on the intensity of the ballet. And uh, we let it go after for a few months and we, we, we touch it back uh, when it has to open a few weeks before. And uh, this was uh, the process with Onegin. And, and uh, yeah, as uh, Sarah was saying, we had a tape uh, of ourselves for the last uh, rehearsal. But uh, to answer your question also, is um, 
it's, it's, not, it's not easy to see yourself on a videotape. You know, you only criticize yourself very much. So you, do, you watch it really when you really need to. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you try to avoid and to avoid that. Um, I, I just completely went blank on my next question. Uh, I would say um, when it comes to looking at Onyegin as a dramatic story, um, how do you compare that to, say, learning Giselle and other full-length ballets? Is it a similar process for all full-length ballets, or is there something different that you brought to this process? I would say it's a similar process. I wasn't, well, actually, I learned uh, a different part in the ballet 10 years ago when I was in the World Danish Ballet. Mm. So I had some idea about the piece, um, but it's not like, uh, say, Swan Lake or Giselle that comes every few years and um, you've been watching it um, over and over again. So it's not something that I was very familiar with um, like these other ballets. But in terms of you know starting from scratch in the studio, it's pretty much the same kind of process of getting the steps under underway and um, developing the character and mm -hmm. just starting to run the scenes. And there you go. If you're just joining us, you are listening to a conversation with uh, Sarah Van Patten, principal dancer, and Pierre Francois Villanova. So I have a couple more questions before I turn to the audience and. This has to do with your working in, in pairs. Uh, I think choreographers take very great care to choose partners, and I think there's sometimes there are partners that just are naturally paired together. So are you interchangeable if you needed to? Could you dance on Yeg? Well, I don't mean completely interchangeable. <laughs> you know what I mean. Can you, if you needed to, could you dance it with the other, with another person or vice versa, or, or it just doesn't work because you've developed a certain synergy? Uh, on this one, I think it would be uh, quite a challenge, actually. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, it's always possible, but you would need some time to rehearse it. You know, it's, it's not going to come in, a, in a two hours. As other classical ballet, you can actually do it in a right. much, quick, much quicker. This one is quite technically challenging. Uh, the, the partnering is very hard, and uh, the stamina within the partnering is, uh, is uh, very demanding. So uh, this is not one of those ballets that you can just wing and uh, do it. Um, one, more, one more question. So um, we don't see very many ballets produced by Cranko, and if I haven't mentioned it before, it wasn't since 1974 that we've even performed one. So when it comes to the actual choreographer, uh, do you find yourself looking at other ballets or researching that choreographer or dance maker looking for their, their style or their point of view in creating dance, or does that not factor in for you? Not particularly, actually, for this piece. Um, the people that came to help us with the work danced it for many years. Mm. Reed Anderson danced it for many years. So he has an amazing um, just ability to help out with any role in the, in the piece. Um, and I think his experiences are really what helped us bring the ballet into a place where each cast is able to you know, tell the story really well. Great. One final question from me, and that is, what, what was different, if there was something different, about this process, about this ballet, and about learning it? One would think, as an artist, we grow with each successive role. What stands out for you in terms of your personal or artistic growth for this particular ballet? 
There is one thing that's very interesting about this piece that's different from other full lengths, and I would say it's the timeline of the piece. In the first two acts, um, it's when uh, Tatiana, which is the part that I play, um, is when she's about 16 years old um, with her younger sister. And then the third act jumps ahead about 10 years. Mm. Um, and Tatiana would have been married with two children. Um, and so it's being able to portray mm -hmm. both aspects of the part to show the innocence, the youth, um, and then to have this giant leap, unlike Juliet, where there is a progression in character, but it's over about three or four days you see her maturity, but she's still only 16 years old. Um, and so I feel like that's what really stands out as something that was very different about this full length as to other story ballets. Interesting. Pierre? Yeah, uh, for me, it's uh, well, clearly it's different since I'm not doing the same role, but um, uh, what was very interesting for me is that the, this was uh, the first time in the classical ballet that the, the characters that are portrayed is more mature. Usually the prince are much younger, and this one is actually uh, in, uh, in, uh, more mature and uh, in towards uh, like his 40s or something. And um, this is something that uh, touched me quite a bit because uh, this is where I am in my career myself, and uh, so I could, uh, I could uh, draw from my uh, uh, very own life experience to portray a role of maturity which uh, was clearly something new for me. And uh, so like, the, I think this is something that helped me grow also an, as an artist through, through this ballet. Great. Thank you for that answer. All right. It's the time to take a few questions from the audience. You have a chance to ask these artists something about the ballet on Yegen or something about uh, their dancing, their process. Yes. You were talking about interpretations. So when it comes to the interpreting the role, is it the person who's setting the ballet who has the greatest influence? Does Helgi Thomason uh, add to that? Or is it really up to you as an artist to, to find your way? I would say you definitely start with what comes naturally. Um, and then the ballet master or mistress or person setting the ballet who comes in will help guide that with your natural instincts. And Helgi definitely has, you know, a watching eye, but usually it starts with the artist and, and the, the coaches in the studio to help guide that um, just kind of natural instinct. Yes. The question is, how would the audience be able to distinguish your particular interpretation, your role in this ballet versus another cast? Is there something that, is there some description that personifies the, the way that you interpret the role? Or is it just unable to explain? I don't know. Well, uh, what, what I think is that uh, we, we interpret a role the way we are, and we are all different persons. We, we are all have different sensitivities, so we all are going to execute the step slightly differently. Although the choreography is the same, we don't, we, we don't execute it exactly the same. Right. And so this is what you can catch. I mean, it's not necessarily obvious for, for, for somebody who doesn't know the ballet, but for us, it's, it's glaring. Mm -hmm. so. 
to, if I might add something to that, and that is, this is one of the ballets that, that I get the sense that if you came to it four times, you would walk away with four different nuanced performances, each that would have its own dimension. It's, you know, some ballets are like that, and, and I sense that for this piece. Another question, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, earlier I mentioned that this ballet is thought of as life-changing for many people. It's a seminal ballet and of, of, of sorts. And the question is, why is that? What makes it so special? What makes it different than other ballets? Great. <laughs> I would say for a ballerina, it's definitely a role that many, many people really want to dance. And I think because it does encompass um, not only the technique, um, as well as Pierre was talking about, very, very difficult partnering, so you feel at the end very satisfied mm. with achieving the steps, but also the dramatic scope, um, just talking about having to not only portray that young, youthful, light character, but also to find um, a much more mature... Um, uh, I don't know what the word mm -hmm. I'm looking for, but just I, I think just the the depth of the character right. is quite great. So it makes sophistication. For a very sophistication. Yes. It makes yeah. for a very um, satisfying role to dance. Right. Did you want to respond to that as well? well um, if uh, as far as uh, the classical thing, I, w I just w was thinking. I don't even know if it's right or not. But most classical ballets have been created centuries ago, and this one clearly has been only created a few decades ago. And I'm sure the, the approach of the classical repertoire is slightly different. So that would make also a kind of a stretch in the classical scope. Great. Another question. Yes. Well, that's a good question. Her question is, what's the ranking for company members, and how does that happen? Where do you begin? We have apprentices, corps de ballet, soloists, principals. What, how, do you, how does that happen, and, and what are there key determining factors? I would say it's very individual. Um, some people move right through the ranks at a very young age, and some people it's very steady over time. And it, it has to do greatly with um, the artistic director and the vision of the company and the repertoire that's danced, um, as well as just how well that dancer deals with not only the technique, um, the pressures of you know being having more pressure of doing bigger parts, um, and and you know how your body holds up if you're able to withstand um, you know the work that's needed. I think all of those factors kind of um, pan out into how ranking is decided. Mm -hmm. Pierre, do you have anything to add to that? Um, well, it's, uh, I, I think also. Uh, I think, well, clearly, the artistic director is, uh, uh, decides who is going to be promoted uh, for all the reasons that Sarah just uh, mentioned. But I think also it's uh, 
when the dancer is ready to be promoted, is going to, is going to be promoted. And it's quite obvious sometimes. It uh, depends on maturity or quality of dancing or movement. And, uh, and quite often you can tell very early on when a dancer can be a principal dancer, even though they are not ready, and a dancer that is certainly not going to go as far as, uh, as to be a principal dancer. And we've witnessed some of those transitions happen right before our eyes when a dancer who is a corps de ballet member who gets a soloist role or a soloist dances a principal part and they do it so spectacularly that it's evident that something artistically has changed right before our very eyes. You know what's interesting to me? I recently had a conversation and, and really came to understand that every dancer does not want to be a principal dancer that some want to have the role that they have. What, what do you think of that? Actually, you know what, I, I, this is something that I, I was not aware of also. Uh, <laughs> <for> <laughs> and no, I have to be honest. I mean, I always wanted, from the beginning, I wa always wanted to be a principal dancer. There was no question in my mind. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, recently I've heard uh, several people just wanting to be part of the company, just yeah. to be there, and they had no desire to experience the pressure or anything else, just being part of the, pro of the whole. Right. And uh, I, I, I thought it was amazing. I, th I think it's beautiful to, to, and refreshing to hear that there are people that really appreciate as a, as a whole uh, rather than as a, an individual, you know? It's, I mean, not saying that I don't appreciate the whole, but... <laughs> <laughs> I prioritized myself at the beginning. <laughs> okay, I have time for one last quick question. I wondered, with two dancers, if you could say something about your growing up here and whether you received support for mm. your dancing from the people in your life Great. in your growing up years or whether it was very difficult. Good. Um, like Billy Elliot. Yeah. A wonderful question to end on. It's about your formative years and training. Did you, did your family, was they, were they behind you every step of the way? Was it something unique and different that you were going to become a dancer? Uh, what was that like and, and what kind of support did you have and how did that influence your, your life and career? Um, well, I, I have to say my, my mother was actually a dancer, so she, she understood what it took to become a dancer. She didn't dance for very long, but she went through the training process. Um, and so when I started to become serious uh, about dancing and making a career of it, I was about 12. Um, and she understood what that meant. So I had a lot of uh, support from my parents Meaning um, that when I was 14, I moved away uh, from home, and then when I was 15, I got my first job, and I was on my own. So even though, in a way, they were supporting me by pushing me out and letting me be by myself um, and, you know, have my first job across the ocean um, and everything that came along with that, um, mm -hmm. so... What about for well, you? For me, it's a slightly different story. Um, there was no artist whatsoever in my family before me, and um, clearly, uh, it was a, a, it came as a shock to my parents when I told them that I wanted to be a dancer. I mean, well, to do ballet, I didn't know that we could be a dancer for life, you know, and. Um, and uh, so at first it was a, a little bit of a struggle for them to accept it, but thankfully I, uh, I, my father had a friend who was a ballet teacher, and uh, so he, he helped the process to, to start. And uh, once my, te my teacher uh, saw some potential in me, and I went in a, in a, in a 
in a good school, then the support was behind me all the way. But uh, similarly to Sarah, I had to leave home quite early. I was 11 years old to go in a, in a boarding school. And uh, that was not easy either for them or for me, actually. I think it was easier for me than them. But uh, it, it was a lot of sacrifice for, from the parents to, to let go your, your ch children like that so, so young, you know. Uh, it's not easy. Well, those, those early struggles have all come to benefit all of us and San Francisco Ballet because we are graced with your artistry and we are so, so grateful. I want to thank you all for listening this evening. Let's thank our artist. I hope, thank you. I hope you've learned a little bit more about ballet, a little bit more about San Francisco Ballet, and I hope you enjoy the program tonight on Yegan. Good night. <laughs>